Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Uh, folks, I've got a treat. I've got a, and I'm really sincerely mean a treat here. Um, and it kind of, <laughs> I'm laughing to myself here. Um, Kim and I right now are in the midst of redoing something we just did about 20 minutes ago and it didn't record. So selfishly, I get to have this conversation with one of the most amazing people I've met in a long time. And I get to extend it and actually go into a little bit deeper in some areas that I didn't get a chance to before. So you don't get advantage of the first recording that we did, but we didn't record. Uh, I have that information just to myself and it's all good. <laughs> so my guest today uh, with uh, that little you know, selfish little preamble here, uh, Kim K.C. Campbell um, is a former fighter pilot, uh, flew the uh, Warthog, uh, the A-10 Warthog. Um, and I've got her on the show because she was on another show that I did with David Meltzer, our office hours, our regular office hours show. And I was absolutely stunned, enthralled, and enamored by what she was bringing to the table. And given what this show focuses on, the soul of business, you know, how does business actually um, position itself as a force for good on the planet? That's my you know, that's my take on it. If it's if it's working well, compassionate capitalism. Um, leaders in these types of organizations have to go against what is a really <laughs> kind of an embedded norm. Conscious capitalism is one thing. Compassionate capitalism is very much seen as an oxymoron in today's world because that's not the experience that most people have. Um, so when we had uh, Casey on, uh, and this is her call sign, by the way, uh, Kim Campbell, Kim Casey Campbell, uh, I had to have her on this show uh, because she speaks from a leadership perspective that isn't theoretical. She speaks from a leadership perspective that has everything to do with personal experience that gets translated into teaching. She is, in fact, um, the, I'm going to read this so I don't get this uh, wrong here. Uh, she is the director of the Center for Character and Leadership Development at the Air Force Academy. And she brings some cred to this role. Uh, as a, as a fighter pilot, pilot, she won the Distinguished Flying Cross for Heroism after an intense close air support mission over Baghdad uh, in 2003. Um, she is a phenomenal mentor. She's a phenomenal exemplar of what it means to be the kind of leader that we're looking for in the world today. So with that preamble and without a whole lot more embellishment on her incredible record here, uh, Kim, I want to just welcome you to the show. Great to have you here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. <laughs> again. Yeah. One more time with feeling. <laughs> Hopefully it's better this time around, right? <laughs> it's already getting better. I can see the, the little ticker going on underneath. So this is good. It means we're actually capturing this. <laughs> Your journey. Um, now, we, I'm going to touch on some things we talked about earlier because it really was so rich. You know, you're a woman, obviously. Um, you're a fighter pilot. Now, I say you you are this is some things that you've done you're a mother you're a wife you're a daughter obviously uh you're an instructor at one of the most prestigious leadership academies on the planet uh you teach the next generation of military leaders particularly in the air force 
uh, how to be leaders with character. And I want to touch on that leader with character piece here in just a moment. But first of all, I want to personalize this just a bit, giving people a sense of who you are, because who you are, I mean, first of all, you know, just again, an acknowledgement of your service, uh, acknowledgement of what you've done to, you know, you know, on the world stage, truly. Uh, it's, it's just profound. That being said, your sense of identity, and this is where I was going to go with this, your sense of identity has morphed over the years. And I'd appreciate you if you could kind of fill in the blanks a little bit here about that journey, that, 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 that journey from yeah, a daughter going into school to you know, fighter pilot. To, you know, and you were, you were married when you, you know, got your wings. Uh, and then you got up, you know, became a mom. So I, I'm not going to talk about that. I'd like you to just kind of elucidate, if you will, that journey and what it's meant to you as you learn to be the kind of a leader that you are today, because you've taken on some pretty big assignments. Yeah, I, you know, I think back to my journey beginning, and I, I'll tell you, it starts when I was 10 years old and decided as a young girl that I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I had no idea this was 1986 that women weren't actually allowed to be fighter pilots back then. Uh, by the time I graduated high school, thankfully, the rules had changed. But my journey started as just wanting to go to the Air Force Academy and become a fighter pilot. I mean, that's for me what it was about. I don't think I fully understood this commitment to service. I mean, I understood that I was going to the Air Force Academy to serve. But as I even got to the Air Force Academy, I better understood what service meant and being part of something bigger and more important than myself. And as I became a fighter pilot and went on to be an A-10 pilot uh, supporting our troops on the ground, I realized that there was this sense of service, but also support for our troops on the ground. And that is really where I found my passion and my purpose in terms of supporting our troops on the ground, helping them get home safely to their families. And that's all I did for a very long time and deployed uh, frequently overseas to support our troops on the ground. Uh, but sadly, you can't just fly forever. Uh, and so I, I took on leadership roles and I realized there was so much more to this idea and commitment of service. Now I'm responsible for at first hundreds of military and civilian personnel and then over a thousand military and civilian personnel. And each time kind of my identity, you know, first I was just this fighter pilot and, and then, you know, it, it expanded out and I realized that I, I took on these leadership roles and then my family expanded and, and now I'm not just a wife, but I'm also a mom. And what I've realized over all this time is that my priorities changed along with it. Um, my passion and my purpose stayed pretty consistent until I took on these new roles and these new responsibilities. And I really started at what I think is more of a tactical level in terms of my passion, my purpose, my reason for being. And then I progressed to more operational and strategic level where I finished out, I would say, in terms of my role at the Air Force Academy with this idea of influencing and making an impact on this next generation of leaders. And so my, my identity evolved over time, my priorities evolved, and really my passion, my purpose, my reason for being evolved over time as well. There's a story that you told uh, earlier uh, about your three-year-old son uh, that I want to touch on. Um, and, and part of that has to do with just, you know, the, the, the nature of learning to be a leader and what are some of the, you know, you can, and I'm going to put this in the context of the book that you have out. And folks, as you're listening today, uh, she's got a new book that just came out uh, early March. It's called Flying in the Face of Fear, A Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. 
And it's this leading with courage piece that I think is really interesting. Uh, and I want to disabuse people real quickly of courage. And, you know, it's not the same way that most people would think of it. I, I'm facing a lion or an air battle or whatever it is. It's the small courageous acts that are steeped in authenticity that begin to uh, create this persona of who I am as a leader that actually enables me to be effective. So you, there was a change of command, as I understand it, that was going on. And I'll let you fill in the blanks on this because it's, it's a, first of all, it's a lovely story. But secondly, I think it's just got some incredible grist to it in terms of what we're looking at. Yeah, and this is definitely where my leadership evolved over time, because I think when I went into my, this first leadership role where I was going to be responsible for about 150 military and civilian personnel, I went in with this idea that, you know, I here I was this combat proven fighter pilot. I had recently come home from deployment. You know, I thought that to me, this leader needed to be credit, credible and competent, but also kind of this tough exterior of like, I have the answers, you know, you can come to me for things. I know what I'm doing all the time. And, you know, that was kind of the perception that I had. And even before I took command, there was this very formal change of command ceremony. And this is friends and family. Uh, it's out in an aircraft hangar. I'm up on stage. There's an aircraft behind me. So it's a very formal ceremony. And my husband and my son, my three-year-old son, are sitting there in the front row. Well, about 15 minutes into the ceremony, my new boss is giving a speech about the importance of leadership, having a good leader in an organization. And I look down at my son and he is just totally and completely bored out of his mind. Like he wants no part of this. <laughs> and so I just try to give him a little smile and he smiles back and then he stands up and he takes a few steps. And I'm kind of looking at him going, what are you doing? I'm also looking at my husband. We're trying to kind of silently communicate now. And I'm looking at my husband thinking, you should probably do something. And he's looking back at me thinking, I'm not doing anything because we could have this full-blown meltdown temper tantrum in front of everybody uh, because it's just, he's a three-year-old. My son doesn't care about any of this. And he just takes a few more steps, moving very slowly, right? He thinks, I think that if he moves slowly enough, he's like invisible and nobody will see him. <laughs> but I certainly see him. My husband sees him. And I'm getting nervous. You know, he's taken a few more steps and I'm really worried about what my team is thinking, right? Here, here I'm supposed to be this combat proven fighter pilot, tough leader. And I clearly cannot control my three-year-old son. You know, I'd I, I certainly have some challenges and things going on. My son is still doesn't care about any of this and continues to take steps to the stage and eventually climbs up on the stage and then hops right in my lap, like just in the middle of the ceremony, sits right down in my lap, content as can be to sit there in my lap. And I'm completely nervous. Like my heart is racing. I'm trying to figure out like, what do I do? What is my team thinking? You know, I'm supposed to take command of 150 people. And here's my three-year-old son sitting in my lap, you know, not proper military protocol. <laughs> and then I just kind of look down at my son and I have this realization, right? That like in the middle of the ceremony is this realization with my son sitting on my lap is like, you know what? This is me. Here I am. I am a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a fighter pilot. I'm a leader. I am all of these things. But that's the human side of leadership, right? I have my own challenges. I don't have all the answers. I'm certainly not perfect. 
that is the human side of leadership. And I realized how important it is just to let my team see me for who I am. I'm still nervous about it. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it's important for them to see me for who I am, to show that human side of leadership. And this was even more reinforced the next day when I spent time just walking around, talking to my new team, getting to know them. And the one thing that came up in almost every discussion was my son getting up in my lap. And it turns out it was the highlight of the ceremony for pretty much everyone because it made me human, right? I, I wasn't just this combat fighter pilot, you know, tough, credible, you know, that, that they couldn't talk to. Like right now I'm a, a normal human being that has my own cha challenges. And um, it was just, it was eye-opening for me. It reminded me that truly what our team wants is, is connection and vulnerability and authenticity and just being true to who we are and connecting with our team. And that moment really set the stage. It was really a turning point for me and how I looked at leadership and really set, set the stage for the rest of my career and how I would approach leadership roles. You know, what I love about that story, I mean, there's so much embedded in it. You know, vulnerability. You know, an old friend of mine and people who listen to the show have heard me say this. Uh, you know, Will Schutz was his name, Dr. Will Schutz. Yeah, we connect through vulnerability. You know, and you know, if we're vulnerable, it gives people an opening. They can actually, you know, there's, there's somebody in here that I can relate to. And the other piece has to do with authenticity. And, and I'm most real when I give up trying to manage your perceptions of me. Just show up as who I am. So those two pieces are embedded in that little story. The, the, the piece around courage, um, I want to, you know, courage is not what a lot of people think it is, I think. Most people, again, like I said, you know, I'm courageous if I can face the charging lion or, you know, you know whatever that might be. But courage takes on all kinds of different shades of uh, color around this. And a lot of it has to do with what do people think of me? Yeah. What if, you know, what would they think if I did this? What would they think if this happened? You know, how have you been able to translate that moment? Because you said it was a pivotal moment uh, for you. How were you able to translate that into some of the future things that you found yourself doing? Yeah, I think, you know, one of these, one of the things that this taught me was, you know, it, it does take courage to be vulnerable. It takes courage to let, you know, people in and see that side of me. It's, it is, you know, you talk about courage, it doesn't have to be this life or death situation. I mean, because first off, you you can't have courage without fear, right? So we all face these fears of fear of not meeting expectations, fear of change, fear of the unknown, and it can all be daunting or stressful, but it is what we do in those moments that matters the most. And yep. so, you know, it, when we feel these fears, we feel the anxiety, we feel the stress, then it is all about what we do in those moments. And so I've realized as a leader, you know, these are, you know, it takes courage. And, and sometimes these things feel like small things, but it takes courage to make a decision when you don't have perfect information. It takes courage to make a tough decision, to make that tough call. It takes courage to hold yourself and others accountable. And it takes courage to connect with your team, to really give trust and trust people before there is trust given to you. That all takes courage. And I think that's what I've realized is that we will face stress, we will face worry, we will face fear in our roles and in our jobs and in our lives. It's all about what we do with it. Can we face that fear and still take action? You know, you mentioned the word trust, and this is another one of those words that I think is poorly understood in most environments, particularly in business. 
uh, every organization I've ever worked in as a consultant or as a, as a coach, uh, people talk about we've got trust issues here. Yeah, we've either got communication issues or trust issues, and basically they're the same thing. You know, they just describe them differently. Um, there's something around, there's a relation, a correlation between trust and confidence, self-confidence. And at the end of the day, what, I, what I've what i actually learned for myself is that when I'm saying I you know, don't trust, what I'm essentially saying is I don't trust myself to handle the consequences of the action I'm about to take and or the words that I'm about to speak. If I can get a sense of confidence that's based on an experience of capability. Um, in an earlier conversation that we had, uh, you had talked about the relationship between competence and confidence. And this had to do with how you positioned yourself as a woman in a male-dominated environment. How do you set yourself up to be a leader that engenders trust, and dialing it backwards, because you appear confident, and you appear confident because you have the experience of competence to draw from? Can you talk about that migration a little bit? Because I think it's really germane to how business leaders today, not just in a military environment, but any environment, whether it's a family or a business, can begin to develop what they need to have. And trust is the bedrock of every organization. If it's not there, you're missing something. How do I trust myself? How yeah. do I come to trust myself? Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think back to the early days when I walked into my fighter squadron on day one, knowing that I would be the only female fighter pilot. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. I, I put pressure on myself that maybe wasn't there from anyone else. It was just pressure that I put on myself. And, and I knew that I was going to be judged. Um, but I think any new person that works or walks into an organization for the first time is going to be judged in some way. But what I realized is that I, I needed to put in the work, right? I, I wanted to be credible. I wanted to be capable. I wanted to prove that I belonged. And so when I, and this really goes to any time throughout my career, when I'm walking into something new or facing a new challenge, a new leadership role, I can still like sense that little bit of anxiety or stress or fear. And what I've learned is that the way that I can deal with that best is to put in the work. I prepare right? I, I do my research. I do my homework. I study. I get everything done. I look at best practices. I learn from people who have come before me. And then I will take the time to practice. Sometimes that's a, a walkthrough or a visualization. In the, in the airplane, we talk about chair flying, which is visualizing critical steps as if we're in the cockpit. Well, I can do the same thing through a visualization technique or just walk through it myself. And then I think about the contingencies, right? I, I take it that, to that third step of planning for contingencies and think about worst case scenarios, what I would do. By going through that process, I am now more competent because I've put in the work. And that competence then gives me confidence to walk into the situation. Yeah, I still might be a little bit nervous or worried about something, but I am much more confident because I have put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something to be said here for the, you know, the, the, the shift in mindset that occurs through practice and you know, practicing yeah, you know, the chair time. Yeah, you know? I remember when I was a gymnast at the university, University of Oregon High School, and 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 uh, university gymnast. I would be throwing my routine in my mind, and I was, you know, I, you know, I, I did the parallel bars and floor exercise, but I, my body would be moving every time. I would just close my eyes, and I would see all of it, and I could see missing the move. How did I recover? I mean, all of those sorts of things. Now it's just a minor example of what you're doing, you know, flying an A-10 warthog, uh, that, that sort of thing. 
But being able to reprogram the mind or program the mind for contingencies give me a sense of confidence because I've already been there. I've literally already been there. And and I came through it. Yeah, the fact that I'm still breathing and standing here says I came through it. So yeah, the, the, the physiology relaxes, and this is my experience, uh, but the physiology tends to relax. And in that relaxation, there's an invitation for people to connect and come closer, which engenders trust. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I've used this technique, obviously, in flying, but I've used it in my personal and professional life as well. I mean, if I have to have a tough conversation with my teenager, uh, I will kind of go through the work in advance and and think through it and have that visualization. How's the conversation going to go? How might he react? I think about in my professional life in terms of giving a presentation or working through a negotiation, you know, having those tough conversations, I will put in the work, you know, I will put in the work in, in advance. And, and if I can do this with my team, it absolutely creates trust because now we're working through it together. And now instead of doing this solo, I'm actually doing a team huddle, a team walkthrough where we walk through roles and responsibilities. We talk about, you know, some of the options, some of the things that we might face and it builds trust, it builds buy-in, it creates connections because we're working through a difficult challenge together. And once we think about that stress, right, we, we think about what we might face. Well, now we're better equipped to cope with the stress. We're better equipped to take action. And we're more likely to achieve that positive outcome that we desire. Magic. That's beautiful. We're going to take a real quick break here. When we come back, I want to specifically bring your book into the conversation. Uh, and folks, I'm going to you know, emphasize this. You have to get this book. This is not just kind of a lame request. You might want to consider it. You have to get a copy of this book if you're in any kind of a leadership position. We're going to talk about that when we come back from this break. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Welcome back. Um, before we broke, I had uh, mentioned Casey's book that we were going to bring this into this last part of the uh, the interview here. Uh, the book, again, is called Flying in the Face of Fear, A Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. 
And there's a number of topics in the book, and it's kind of broken down into thematically three different areas here, specific strategies and techniques for leading in situations of extreme stress and uh, risk, methods for female leaders to overcome the challenges of working in a male-dominated environment, and ways to act in critical moments by recognizing that being brave and afraid at the same time is both normal and necessary. Now, there's a bit of an oxymoron on that last one here, so we're going to play with that one a little bit. Before I actually have you start talking about it, I yeah, and I know that I had mentioned this in the, the aborted interview that we did earlier, but the relationship and the correlation between the content in the book and the curriculum that you've put into place um, at the uh, the academy, uh, the Leadership Academy. Um, can you talk a little bit about those two? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, part of the reason that, um, you know, I went back to the Air Force Academy to instruct and become the director of the Center for Character and Leadership Development was this desire to give back. It felt a little bit like my life was coming full circle. You know, that's where I started. That's where my career began. And now it was an opportunity to go back and share some of the stories um, and lessons that I had learned throughout my career to allow our next generation of leaders to not just read about it in a book or to, um, you know, listen to it in a classroom, but to have conversations of how these concepts apply in real life and real scenarios and in combat. Um, and so there was a lot that I realized throughout my career that I had learned from the people who came before me, you know, that shared their stories with me and how critical those stories were. I mean, I think some of the stories and lessons that have been shared with me saved my life over Baghdad in 2003. I feel like those stories, many of them changed my trajectory and my path as a leader. So I, I recognize the importance of stories and lessons learned, especially when people are willing to share stories or lessons that maybe relate to mistakes or weaknesses or failures. I think, you know, that having the courage to do that um, is huge because it helps other people learn and grow. And so that's a lot of what I wanted to do when I went back to the academy. Many of those stories now are in the book and the lessons learned because I realize how much they resonate and connect with people in terms of their ideas on followership and leadership. But I also realized coming back to the academy, um, you know, it was my final, my final year of 24 years in the Air Force. I really felt like, you know, I had come a long way as a, as a leader, as a person. I had led teams of more than a thousand people. I had seen a lot of things, both in training and combat. And, you know, here I am in this final role. And what I realized is that I was still continuing to grow and learn. Here I was in the, the Center for Character and Leadership Development, surrounded by experts who are passionate about leadership and character and, and how do we influence and change uh, and get people to see things in a different way, a new perspective, something that would be that spark. And I felt like being surrounded by those incredible, amazing people, I continued to grow and, de and develop as a leader. And it was just this constant reminder that we never stop learning. And, you know, that's, that's this idea in this book is that my book is not just for new emerging leaders, it is for experienced leaders as well. It is with the intent of giving a new perspective, a just maybe that spark that will help leaders get outside their comfort zone, try something new, or if they're dealing with a problem, maybe it will help them see it in a new way. So I think it's everything coming together in, in, yeah. in my book in terms of lessons from the past, but also recent and current lessons really all coming together um, with the intent of helping leaders grow and develop. That, yeah, growing and developing the continuous learning piece. Um, I'm struck by the, the actual title of uh, uh, the center, the Center for 
character and leadership development. Character is in front of leadership. It comes first in the, uh, the, the reading here. What is the emphasis on character and why is it so important in the development of leaders, not just military leaders, but in, the, in, the, in just leaders in general? Why is it positioned before <laughs> the leadership? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, leadership is one thing, but being a leader of character is really what we're driving for. And our mission at the Air Force Academy is to develop leaders of character. It was, uh, you know, certainly the mission of the center. Um, our mission, our vision, our values are all surrounded on this idea of creating and developing leaders of character who will then become leaders for our country. Um, we centered it around the leader of character framework, which is how we develop leaders of character. And this it's this idea that we start with living honorably and then lifting others and elevating performance. So first we're focused really on an individual, that, that individual performance. Can I myself live honorably? Can I live to these values? Can I hold myself accountable? Can I live with honor? It's the idea of developing myself as an individual. And then we look at lifting others. So now I'm focusing on others as well. How can I lift them to be their best possible selves? How can I push them and encourage them to be their best possible selves? And once we do that, now we look beyond that at elevating the performance of the team. And we realize that when an individual succeed, when the people around us succeed, now we elevate the performance mm -hmm. of our team. And that's the whole idea. We develop leaders of character who are capable of handing, handling complex, dynamic challenges in this ever-changing environment, and they do it with character. What I love about that framing and about that you know, kind of epistemology with it is the focus is not on performance to begin with. I mean, it's, it's not that it's not present, but that's not the primary focus in the beginning process here, recognizing that I've got to have strong individuals in order to have a strong team, and then this team needs to find ways to get strong in order for it to actually perform in the way that we want. Far too many leaders that I work with in a business environment, the first two elements are not what they look at. Yeah, they look at the, you know, are we getting the numbers? Are we hitting the, you know, are the performance metrics being hit? And the language, and I'm gonna just check this out with you here because I'm fascinated with the way that language actually you know, creates things. You know, it's both a reflector, but also a, a creator of language. And the idea of language of being versus language of doing. And the default in my experience with most leaders that I've worked with is that their linguistic framing is almost always around language of doing, hitting targets, making numbers, you know, planned, as opposed to language of being, which is what the team and the individuals actually need to you know, uh, fertilize, if you will. I mean, there, there needs to be a nurturing of language of being so that who we are shows up in what we do. How does that show up? you know, in the work that you do, and I'm not talking here just necessarily in uh, the military, you know, lexicon, but, you know, you're, you're, you've moved outside of that now and you're actually working in a, in a completely different environment in many cases. Does that language of being, language of doing distinction resonate in any way with some of the work that you're doing? I, I absolutely think it does. I think sometimes we get focused on the outcome and a lot of times we just need to look more a little bit more internally. Are, are we taking care of the people that work for us? Do they understand where they fit into the bigger picture? Um, is this you know, where we can focus our efforts to help individuals develop? Are we creating trust and connections? Are we creating that environment where there's a safe space to provide feedback, to share lessons learned? 
And when you when you focus on individuals and team dynamics, a lot of times that the outcomes it's the result. I mean, we're we're focusing internally, we're working to make sure that each individual can be successful. And then we look at how we can support each other as a team, where we fit into the bigger picture, what role we play that will help us achieve that success. So I think absolutely we a lot of times we get so focused on the the end results, we forget to focus on the the actual dynamics that help make that happen. Yeah, the process, you know, which includes the people. <laughs> absolutely. It, it is the people. It is absolutely the, the people. It is the people. <laughs> Great. Yes. One last question before we kind of begin to wrap this down. And I want to just talk about, you know, brave and afraid, you know, kind of this, you know, oil water mixture here. Um, can you kind of, you know, credit, you know, in the book, ways to act in critical moments by recognizing that being brave and afraid at the same time is both normal and necessary. You know, I'm not going to get rid of one in order to have the other. What's where did that come from for you? How did you just kind of what were the events that led you to articulate it in that way? Yeah, well, I think part of it is this um, when it's this idea. I mean, I was even a little hesitant to use the word fear in the title because I see, I think sometimes we see that word fear and we think about weakness or vulnerability. And what I've realized looking back and reflecting on my career is there are many times throughout my life, throughout my career, where I felt fear, where I was nervous or worried about taking on a new role, whether it was me walking up the ramp to start basic training, whether it was me walking into my fighter squadron on day one, knowing I was going to be the only female fighter pilot, or taking on a new leadership role that feels new and unexpected, and there's a lot of unknowns, or even dropping my husband off at the airport for a deployment for a year, knowing that I would be the mom at home. I think in all of these situations, there were kind of this, this feeling of fear and anxiety and stress. And what I realized is that that is normal. And uh, the most important thing is that we can feel those things and we still take action that, okay. you know, it's not the fear that matters. It's what we do in the face of fear. It's about being brave and afraid. It is about being scared and doing it anyway. That's really what's most important. We just don't like to admit that we're afraid or scared or worried because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And I think admitting it and acknowledging it, you know, you don't necessarily have to admit it to everyone uh, <laughs> as long as you acknowledge it for yourself and then take action, then do something about it. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Even with a three-year-old in your lap. <laughs> yes. Even with a three-year-old in my lap with my heart racing, uh, a little bit of nerves going, uh, it's all about having the courage to show up, be authentic and, and true to who you are. Yeah, Casey, you've certainly done that in this interview. I, I so appreciate you, uh, both just generally speaking, but also just taking the time to redo this interview. Um, it's It means a, a great deal to me, and I know uh, the listeners are going to benefit greatly for it. Um, the title of the book, again, is Flying in the Face of Fear, a, fighter's, a Fighter Pilot's Lessons on Leading with Courage. I want you to get this book. It's available on Amazon. It's available in all of the regular places. Um, where can people find out more about what you're doing? Because you also uh, do keynotes. Uh, you, you work with uh, organizations to actually enhance their leadership effectiveness. Where can they find out more about you? Yeah, the, the best way really is to reach out to me through my website. It's uh, kim-kc-campbell.com. 
Uh, my website has links to social media, also information about the book. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. It's the same kim-casey-campbell.com. Uh, but yeah, I would love for for you to reach out, especially if there's something we didn't cover. Or if you're interested in knowing a little bit more, uh, I certainly would love to hear from anyone who's listening. Great. Folks, you've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, my guest today, retired Colonel Kim Casey Campbell. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure once again. As you thank close you so off your week, thank you, thank you. And, as, and well, actually, you're going to be listening to this at the beginning of your week. So what I'd like you to do uh, this week is practice finding areas that you can be courageous in in your life. And one of the ways that that can actually show up is to find ways to be a center of distribution, not a center of accumulation. Find a way to go out and do something good. Give something away. Give something away that makes a difference. You'll never regret that. This is Blaine Bartlett, and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.